Kia ora, I'm Sharon Brett Kelly. Today on The Detail... What a turnaround. Chris Hipkins could be Labour's saviour. Labour and National are now neck and neck again. The poll was taken from Wednesday until last night, so it captures Chris Hipkins' first days in the job. They feed the headlines and there's always plenty of drama. Labour's series of scandals is centred on a downward spiral. With our latest News Hub Read Research poll giving National and ACT the numbers to comfortably form a government. On these numbers, Luxon's party is heading for power and the Hipkins honeymoon is a distant memory. But beyond that, are political polls really important? And what about that secretive internal polling? We look at that, plus how the era of mistrust makes it so difficult to get people to take part. And who better to talk to than a political junkie slash journo, RNZ's deputy political editor, Craig McCulloch. The reason why the polls have been quite interesting this year, they, they paint a picture of of the electorate landscape, which we would otherwise be blind to. So the consistent messaging which has been coming through has been this really tight race between both the left and the right blocks. So you've got National and ACT on one side, you've got Labour, the Greens, Interparty Māori on the other. Labour has been on this downward trend, but at the same time, National has failed to sort of significantly capitalise on that. Instead, the, the support has gone out to the minor parties. A- a- and why is that? What What's going on there? Well, we know too from these polls that people aren't all that enamoured by the major parties' leaders, particularly Christopher Luxon, his preferred Prime Minister ranking very low, also issues around trust and likability. So all of that information um, is quite helpful as we're heading into this election campaign. It kind of lays out that state of play, the potential pitfalls and and the challenges for the various parties as well. But I wonder if for the, the average person, the non-political journo, or the person who lives by politics, are they entertainment, a bit of information, or are they important? They, polls are important. I mean, they provide information. For the press gallery, they are appointment viewing, firstly because they are the best and really only way of testing public sentiment aside from holding an actual election. So without polling, you are left to effectively just trust what parties tell you, what MPs tell you, what what the so-called man or woman on the street tells you, social media, vibes, none of that really is scientific or reliable. Polls at least help us get a lot closer to the truth of the matter. And they help us also understand what is driving political parties' decisions. And that's quite interesting and, and relevant, well, for me as a political journalist, because it gives us some insight into what's the thinking, the inner thinking of these parties. Remember, all these parties carry out their own internal polling. They're constantly focus grouping. They're regularly testing the public temperature on on various policies, on promises, particularly the two big parties, Labour and National. So public po- polling helps pull back the curtains on that. It sort of levels the playing field. It democratises data, which would otherwise be hidden away behind closed doors, fiercely guarded by these few very powerful people at the top of a few very wealthy political parties. Public polling is a way of really opening that up, opening those closed doors and revealing at least some of that information. So how much do the polls that we see reflect what the political parties are doing behind closed doors? A great deal. MPs... I think they have a a bit of a love-hate relationship with the polls. They love them when they're good, they hate them when they're bad. But whatever they say publicly, they're all watching those polls with 
enormous interest. John Key, he was famously obsessed with the polls, used to regularly check in on the numbers almost daily in the lead up to an election. Just recently, we know, for example, that wealth tax that the government was looking into, they'd considered that that focus grouped particularly poorly, which is likely one of the reasons it was killed. Labour leader Chris Hipkins has dropped an election year bombshell from the other side of the world, confirming his party won't introduce a capital gains or wealth tax under his leadership. And the other thing is that when parties are doing poorly, that is often when they stop sharing their internal polling with their own MPs. And so their MPs start really looking at the public polling. In 2020, for example, the national MPs were keeping quite a close eye on the public polling. And and it was a key factor in why and when they rolled Simon Bridges. In breaking news, Simon Bridges has been ousted as National's leader. So they do take polls very seriously. Mikey, it's interesting to consider the role of the One News Colmar Brunton poll released last night. It showed a 30-point difference in the party vote between National and Labour. Just how significant do you think that poll was for MPs who were considering their leadership vote today? Oh, look, no doubt that was hugely significant even if they might publicly suggest otherwise. And the other reason that they take polls seriously is because they know that public polls in and of themselves can actually influence public opinion too. But in terms of the party's own polls, are you saying that depending on how they're going, they might reveal a lot publicly? They might put it out there you know, a lot if they're doing well. If they're not doing well, they keep it very close to their chests. Well, certainly in terms of their internal polling, for the most part, the political parties keep their internal polling quiet um, and they may uh, try and leak out uh, information to certain people if if it's in their favour. We as journalists are particularly cautious around what we use and and what we take into account when it comes to that sort of leaked information because it often is um, cherry-picked, if you will. There is a reason why someone is is leaking it. They have an agenda so that they could be trying to portray a certain image. We, uh, at RNZ anyway, we have a general rule that we only cover polls by pollsters which have A, signed up to that New Zealand political polling code and B, that have a sort of an established and reliable track record. So at the moment, that's the TV polls, the TVNZ variant poll, Mm. um, previously known as Canter Public, previously known as Comma Brunton, um, and the News Hub Read Research poll, also the Taxpayer Union Curia poll is the other public poll which we cover. Curia is owned by David Farrer, a long-time National Party pollster. He's been around for a long time and, and is regarded as very credible. We also do tend to report on the Talbot Mills poll when it leaks. Um, Talbot Mills is Labour's pollster, but it also polls for its corporate clients, and it's that corporate poll which sometimes makes its way out into the public arena. So, uh, And it since kind of quite regularly does, so it's a little bit more reliable, a bit more frequent as well, and you can kind of look at the trend lines. But like I said, you have to be careful about those the leaked internal polling because um, it's being leaked for a reason, And so you kind of have to uh, take that into account in in terms of how much weight you give it. Can you give me an example of what they might leak through from their internal polling? Not really. I mean, it would just be around, you know, they might say that they're they're doing better than the public polls or yeah. whatever, and 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 then and then it's up to us whether or not we we believe them or not. Oh, I see. So not not a particular topic because I'm wondering what influences something like. National's policy on banning cell phones at schools. 
would they be doing focus groups on that before they reach a decision to announce that as a policy? Certainly the party's focus group on on important policies to them. So we know, for example, Labour was doing a lot of work in the tax area, um, also around t- the possibility of taking GST off fruit and vegetables, which is a, a, a policy that we were expecting that might come out um, of Camp Labour very shortly. So they do um, test the temperature constantly on these policies, on the important ones, not necessarily every single policy because it is an expensive process to go through, focus grouping and polling. But there's a reason why the politicians do this is because they want to know what the public opinion is. I mean, polling is a reflection of public sentiment and in a democracy you would expect politicians to be paying close attention to what the public want. There's a lot less polling than there used to be Is that because of the cost of it? Yes, um, polling is incredibly expensive and so that's why we don't see it happening as often necessarily as it used to. I mean, one of the best things to do when um, looking at polls is you want to look at the trend because it gives you a a better picture. A singular poll on its own only kind of gives you that snapshot, that uh, initial look at what's going on right now, which is interesting, but is more important or more interesting to look at that um, overall trend. And so the more polls that you get um, over a a longer period of time, the, the more conclusions you can take from that, I guess, the more you can take out of it. One of the complaints often made is that that particular polls are given undue prominence or that they're sensationalised because they are so expensive, um, because they have been paid for um, by news organisations and so therefore they'd better generate a good headline or or an exciting news story. And, and there is probably some validity to that complaint on occasion. In an ideal world, yes, we would have regular polling all the time from multiple pollsters, which would give us that bigger picture. But because we don't have that, I, I think that just means that we as reporters have to be careful around our coverage. It's important that our commentary comes with some caution and some caveats, for one being that, that caveat that it is a solitary poll, it is just a moment in time, and so it's more instructive to look at the trends. Number two, it, it is not foolproof. There is that margin of error there. There is also the chance of an outlier. So, so yes, public polling is a good thing. More information is better than less, but it also needs to be delivered to the public with that sort of necessary context to help the public understand it. You're so close to it. When was the last time you were surprised by a poll? <laughs> uh, I, I, I don't know whether I can think of a specific example that stands out. I would say, though, that poll movements in general are not always intuitive. So so in 2020, I remember there were a, a number of national MPs who, who looked at the polls, acknowledged that they were in trouble and said at the time that their only chance would be if, if there was a COVID resurgence if the country went back into lockdown. Then, of course, that did happen and Labour actually went up in the polls, not down. So it, it doesn't always happen as you might expect. People often expect, for example, a ministerial sacking will precipitate a drop in government's popularities, but quite often the opposite actually happens because voters like to see a Prime Minister acting decisively, and so therefore the party might go up um, in the polls, not down. The budget bump is another one. It's a common misconception that 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 is a regular occurrence, but in actual fact, for the last decade or so, the government's gone down in the polls after the budget, not up. So all of that really is to say that polls aren't necessarily predictable or, mm. or simple to deduce. There's, 
And I guess that's not surprising either, given that humans in general don't tend to be all that predictable. No, and it feels like we're even more unpredictable than we used to be. (laughs) Yeah, and I think by and large, when it comes to trust in polls and whether they're reliable and, and the like, we just have to understand and accept that they are an estimate. They are not foolproof. There have been some some fairly high-profile misses, um, you know, Donald Trump's victory in the United States, for example. That's just the reason that we have to continue looking back to that overall trend. We need to take into account the bigger picture rather than necessarily zeroing in on any singular poll as as the gospel truth. One of the things I find interesting that you've, you've been talking about is is the fact that it looks like, you know, if we were going to vote today, it would would most likely be National Act governing the country. And yet Chris Luxon's own polling is poor. I don't understand how that stacks up. You know, when you're going out there asking people, who would you vote for? Well, I'll vote for National Act, most of them are saying. And yet they don't trust the person who would be the Prime Minister. Yes, and the details that emerge from those polls actually provide us with some more insight um, as commentators, as analysts, as observers um, when looking at the electoral landscape and and maybe help to understand why the National Party hasn't pulled ahead dramatically in the way that you might think. If you consider that, if you look back to the 2020 election as the benchmark, you can see how much the landscape really has changed since then. Labour has dropped about 20 points in the polls, which is a, a significant swing. National has gone up, but only about 10. So, so those questions around leadership explain perhaps a little bit as to why National hasn't scooped up that whole 20 points. They've only taken about half of it. So will it come down to the battle of the Chris's? It's not really actually about me or Chris Hipkins. It's actually about do we have the energy, the team, the ideas to move our country. Here's long-time political pollster Murray Campbell. He's the New Zealand Research Association's polling spokesperson. If you look at Chris Hipkins, he's the incumbent, so he has a a bit of a head start. But you've got to compare those results with what have previous incumbent prime ministers had in the lead-up to the election. And he, he's not at the top of the queue on that one. If you look at uh, Christopher Luxon, yeah, it, it, th- there's some tension there because you, we are seeing a rise in preference for his party mm. but not a rise in trust in himself. And that's a point of tension. And, and that's why I think the, the election result is not yet a foregone conclusion. There will be some ups and downs and some sideways movements. In the end, does that matter? Well, the fact that a lot of people don't seem to like him or trust him. Oh, the short answer to that is I think it does matter because the way that people vote and support a party varies enormously. Some people will read or their manifesto, and they will have their checklist of policy do's and don'ts, and they will cross-reference it. And, and Really? Oh, yeah. And other people will just work off their gut or their subconscious. You know, do I like that person? And then you get the barbecue test about, you know, if I had to go to a, a politician's barbecue, which one would I go to and, and why would I enjoy it? At the end of the day, it's my, do I like and trust this person to lead me? We, we saw that when Jacinda Ardern took over from Andrew Little, <laughs> we saw this huge skyrocket of support for her as preferred Prime Minister. 
and a huge skyrocket lift in support for Labour. The policies hadn't changed. Mm. Not, not a lot. That's, that is really a, that's an example yeah. of, of just that visceral sense of, uh, I warm to that person. Last time we talked, which was 2020, we were talking about the so-called oh, road right. poll. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was rejected at the time, I think, by Jerry Brownlee. Uh, yeah, one in 20 always does seem to be a little out of kilter with, with everything else, and I think this is one of those. We haven't had that on this occasion. In fact, we almost had the reverse I think the first poll this year, late January, early February, was quite a remarkable poll because both of the television uh, channels ran their polls at exactly the same time. Some dramatic results in the first political poll since Chris Hipkins became Prime Minister. And they got exactly the same results. Labour has risen up to 38%. Labour is on 38. National plunged back under Labour 36.6%. National is only just behind on 37. It's very rare for that to happen. The only time it really does happen is just before the election itself, which was, from my perspective, quite a a solid endorsement of the accuracy of political polling. What is the thing that concerns you most about polling for this election? Participation. It's, yeah, that, that's the number one thing. And it's a sense of, does it matter? Will my survey results be recognised and recorded within the sample? Will my anonymity be preserved? Because I think people are, are increasingly concerned about that. And there's, there's a broader thing which we, we've seen in the States for some time where people are thinking, I don't want to be part of mainstream media. I don't trust mainstream media. And political polls are part of mainstream media, so no thanks. And then they go out and vote. And so it almost becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy because if, if the polls don't include the opinions of people who don't trust mainstream media but do go out and vote, then you get the spiral of, well, who can you trust? What do we know? And that, that is my fundamentally biggest concern, is that social media has fragmented opinion and challenged what truth is like nothing else, yeah. you know, for, for the last few centuries. So that mistrust has just grown out of so fast. But I think that has meant that truth has become even more elusive, if, if I can use that term. And that, you know, to ask the question, what do people know and how do they know, I think is really a, a fundamental question. And I'd like to think that political polls can still play a role in being an independent, objective and trusted statement of what are people thinking politically? Where are their political preferences sitting? We're in a new era, Murray says, and that's putting pollsters under a lot of pressure. It's not just people's mistrust. Gone are the landlines, along with Kiwis' willingness to take part in public polling and share their political views. Fast forward from that nirvana of three or four elections ago, so you've got to have a, a multi-mode approach. And then there's just participation, you know, there's a high level of scepticism and more than a couple of grams of paranoia about the whole thing. So getting that clear and objective view on what people are thinking and what they might do, is I, I think it's getting harder. Yeah. So what's the breakdown 
of the different ways of getting in touch with people? Some of the polling companies might use a 50-50 split between mobile and landline. Some might use a, a different split between mobile and online consumer panels. There'll be panels of maybe 80, 120,000 people and they're recruited by different means and they're managed through a specialist panel management company. There is a lot of science and a tiny bit of art in the whole thing because it's not as if you can say, well, we'll get half the sample over there and half the sample over there. There are heavy skews by age, some by gender, by location, uh, and then ethnicity. In 2020, when we talked, July 2020 it was, we talked about that elusive 19-year-old man (laughs) on the West Coast. That's right. He's still there somewhere. (laughs) I think that kind of mythical character still exists. It could be someone living in, in downtown Auckland who's been in New Zealand two years, just got their citizenship, they can vote, but English is not their first language. Maybe they're not on a consumer panel. And so how do we get hold of them? Well, how do you? Yeah. Well, that random digit dialing of mobile phones is phone numbers is one way of doing it, but getting them to participate is 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 the challenge. I, I just can't imagine. I mean, aside from knocking on their door. Well, yeah. I mean, knocking on the door is probably the least fruitful way of doing it. Is it? Oh, well, particularly in downtown apartments, you just there's oh, no you access, can't get, right? Yeah. Um, and increasingly in suburbs up and down the country. There is security fences and gates, um, and people just don't answer. So mm. that that option's well and truly gone, and that kind of reflects the difficulty that Stats New Zealand has now with the census as well. That just, you know, knocking on the on the door and hoping it's going to be answered. That that challenge is 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 immense. So it it's more specialist panels and random digit dialing of mobile phone numbers. So you're not really going to know until after the election how accurate these polls are, but New Zealand has a very good reputation for accuracy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's there's actually political polls are run across about 135 countries in the world. And, I mean, the latest research on the research, which was published earlier this year, done last year, shows that across the 135 countries or thereabouts that the accuracy of political polling is actually increasing, which is just an amazing tribute to those polling companies. And the average of the results falls within the margin of error. So I think that's quite remarkable. It just so happens that a good news story like that doesn't make the news, whereas you know a story of, of Trump winning when people thought, wow, how can that guy win? That makes the news, or the Brexit of 2015 or wherever it was, that makes the news. That's it for today. I'm Sharon Brett-Kelly. The detail is supported by the Public Interest Journalism Fund. Today's episode was engineered by Phil Benge. Our producers are Sarah Robson and Bonnie Harrison. And thanks to Murray Campbell and Craig McCulloch. Mā te wā.